Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited. Today we have a special guest, somebody from YPO, Lior Elazari. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much and thank you for being here. Yes, thank you. This is great. We, like I said, connected through YPO. We actually were just talking offline a little bit about YPO, but and then also a little bit about your background. But for our audience's sake, I want them to learn and give them some context about your background and how you ended up here. So yeah, maybe you can share, you know, give an abbreviated overview of what yeah. we discussed right before we started recording. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I've been a serial entrepreneur for like 35, almost 40 years now. Our first company I co-founded is now knowsweb.com. We started early on, it's named Hostpro. Ended up selling it to Micron, Micron ran into the ground and kind of rebranded it. We were hosting web.com back then and rebranded it and brought it back to life. Then we had a CRM solution kind of going head to head with Salesforce. Perhaps we exited a little bit too early because Salesforce became pretty giant. And then the one lasted before this one was Edgecast, was a content distribution network. And what they did is basically we had servers all over the world so people can view content faster than the speed of light because apparently speed of light is just not fast enough for people so you know when you're viewing these youtube videos if you're up in california and trying to view a, a, a video out in new york the fiber is just too slow for people right if you're waiting more than like a few seconds for buffering you're like oh, i'm out oh, so <laughs> exactly so we basically had servers all over the world and now with this new company that we're doing, we're doing robotics and automation basically solving the same thing but the speed of light is too slow for people now to get products, right? So when you're ordering things online, you expect the things to happen right away. In fact, I joke around, we really, people want the Star Trek replicator. You look online, you look at the website, you see what you want, you click on it, and you expect it to materialize next to your doorstep. And that doesn't really happen. There's a lot of manual processes that happen in the end. And at Invia Robotics, what we do is basically help our customers with robotics automation to basically fulfill these orders as quickly as possible, okay. uh, doing an old-fashioned way by pulling products off the shelf. Not the speed of light, but close. We're getting close, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're talking about like the solutions for, let's say, Amazon warehouses that have robots that go there and pick up all of those different products and bring them back to packaging. Is that what? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So robots help. Both, so we both have actually a hardware and a software solution. We really revamped the whole warehouse flow. There's a lot of issues that that are happening, and mostly because a lot of the warehouses are still run in the old-fashioned way. In fact, um, most even big enterprise levels that we're helping out, they're running still with pen and paper, and they're all struggling to try to figure out, you know, how do we fulfill all these thousands of orders? All these people ordering all these randomized stuff and move that over. So we both have a software solution that kind of helps them manage. You can think of it as managing the traffic flow you kind of sort of like the traffic lights and everything so we do that and on the other side we have robots that can go out and pick the containers move that over to a person so the person can just 
sort that and ship that out the door as quickly as possible. So we're eliminating their walking. Uh, the right. robots are doing. Yeah, walking. that makes that makes sense. But I've seen videos of like what an Amazon warehouse looks like, where the robots are running around and trying to pick up products for uh, for the shippers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and Amazon definitely has been in the forefront of this. You know, pushing this. Uh, need to have our products done in you know, like an hour now right so there it's pushing the envelope more and more yeah it's crazy to think i mean that you still have shipping right so that's not going to materialize immediately yep. ups needs to still ship that or fedex still needs to ship it so yep. it might not be immediate but at least you're trying to get the warehousing part done as quickly yep. as, as possible yep. uh, and so tell me a little bit more about for our audiences what typical companies you work with are we talking about the large really large amazons of the world or are you talking about like mid-range or smaller or i mean i'm assuming there's a pretty big somewhat of a capital investment for these for the hardware so you probably have to be a little bit bigger in order to use your technology yeah so we'll talk about our business model because our business model is actually as a ras robotic as a service so you don't have to invest a lot of money up front but we do work with mostly mid-size to large enterprise. So we basically work with everybody below Amazon. Amazon is actually our greatest lead because they're putting, you know, they're putting all this pressure on everybody else and everybody else is figuring out, okay, how do we automate? How do we do that? So we're working with everybody. For example, one of our largest customers is Scholastic. We're actually going to have a webinar with them tomorrow. So, you know, people can maybe join in and send some information there, but it's, it's a lot of customers that are, you know, as consumers in some sense, we're very demanding, right? I mean, if those products even don't show up within two days, they're like, forget it. I'm just going to go to somebody else. And a lot of our customers, like big enterprise level customers are wanting to fulfill these things. Want to, you know, they want to provide these services to those people as quickly as possible and as cost effectively as possible. And that's the key here. And this is where we're adding robots to really you know, be able to provide a very cost-effective solution for them. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so exciting. What's a typical engagement look like? So if I'm, let's say, an e-commerce company and I have a warehouse and I'm like, okay, I think I need to play game, no pen and paper anymore. Yeah. What does that typical engagement look like? Yeah. So so first off, a lot of them are under pressure. So you itself, you know, so it's not just no pen and paper, it's also the labor Labor is becoming extremely difficult to find. In fact, even now, Amazon, Amazon used to be very, very brutal on the labor. You know, they had really big metrics that they had to fulfill. You probably heard a lot of those things. But now that labor is becoming smaller and smaller. People don't want to do this, especially after COVID. So you're under a lot of pressure. So a lot of them are coming to us and it's like, okay, what can we do to help them? So the first thing we do is actually do a simulation of the warehouse and what that would look like. Uh, in fact, what we're really doing is we're moving their warehouse from an old way of running things to almost running like a spaceship where you know their people are no longer just running around with pen and paper trying to figure out what to do, where they're really dealing with bigger systems, they're dealing with the robots, they're dealing with higher level, and they can provide their customers more benefits, more added services, making sure that those you know products are being delivered. So the first thing we do is actually do a full simulation of the warehouse and we show them what that looks like as we move forward you know, in the progress. And then once that's done, then we go and actually deploy the robots, we deploy the software, take care of any kind of business rules, every business is unique. So we you know, work with that to show them you know, how that will work in the warehouse and then deploy that. And how big are these warehouses or they can be any size scaled up and down? 
Yeah, so probably the smallest we work with is probably around, you know, smallest would be like 10,000, 15,000 square feet, all the way up to, you know, several hundreds square feet. The bigger it is, the more of a problem it is, because you can imagine, you know, three football fields, big, tons of racks, lots of items, 100,000 different SKUs, different items that they have in the warehouse, and people order random things. Trying to predict it is almost trying to predict the stock market. So uh, you have a lot of people just running around randomly trying to figure, you know, how to do that. I think that's what happens at an Amazon warehouse on a yeah. daily basis, right? They yeah. have 100,000 SKUs, if not more. Yeah, they actually, some of them have a million yeah. Um, the warehouses, yeah. So tell me if you come from the, I'd say, marketing slash web space. So tell me yeah. how you got into hardware, software, robotics. It's an interesting. So I actually went to USC, worked on my PhD, as, uh, didn't quite finished it, left the year before to start this company, but worked a lot on DARPA-related projects. Then uh, with DARPA, we worked on, I don't know if people have seen the DARPA Robotic Challenge, where they wanted a robot to kind of go around in a disaster area and clear some rubble, go into a car, drive the car. And we kind of took a lot of the stuff we learned and we wanted to apply it at the home. So the initial robot was to have a robot that will operate at your house, help more in elderly care and things like that, be able to maybe pick things off the floor, open a few doors. At the most we got it is to cook a meal by taking a microwavable thing out of the oven and you know putting it into a microwave, out of the fridge and putting it into a microwave. And that ended up being actually extremely challenging and not just challenging in terms of the technology, but challenging in terms of the cost. We figured we might be able to get something that would cost about $50,000, but that's just too expensive to do maybe 20% of that work. I mean, for that, you can get somebody a human to help you and do a lot more. And I think this is the part that people don't quite get is why don't we have these robots everywhere? And most of it is the cost is the cost ends up being so much that Fortunately, we sort of value human, you know, work is much less than that. Um, but as we were ordering parts, as we were doing stuff, order getting it from uh, Amazon, we were getting it you know, overnight. It was great. We were able to, and that's one of the things actually that people don't get to. It's not just, you know, us being able to get those little widgets in time, but actually companies like ours that can innovate, can build something, have products delivered to us within a day. We can iterate, we can build the robots. We were able to build that home robot pretty quickly. And then we're like, how does Amazon do this? How does Amazon able to ship us? Like we were ordering aluminum sheets, eight foot by four foot overnight, like nobody compete with them. We actually looked at their financials back then. They weren't really, they were really brute forcing the problem and getting a lot of money and pushing that. And we started talking to a lot of customers that were trying to do this and they were struggling. They're like, look, whatever you could do to help us because we're drowning, we're really drowning. So same thing we started, we were like, you know what, let's pivot to that, let's have the robots actually do fulfillment inside the warehouse. Looks like there's a huge need there. And that's sort of how NBS started it. Hmm, okay. And what's next? What's uh, like? What's the next iteration? Not necessarily like maybe in the industry, not necessarily of like the company itself, or you can talk about that too, but yeah. really seems like you've kind of solving for the, the little robots running around and getting product. What's the next step? Yeah. So, and this is kind of sort of touches with AI and where does AI help, right? So for us, where we use AI the most is the ability to reduce costs on how do we integrate these systems. So, you know, we have robots in our daily in our daily life. We don't even notice like for even our washing machines, it's a robot. It does work. It's not very adaptive though. You still have to separate laundry, still have to do the stuff. It won't dry it, but it's a robot nonetheless, a machine that does work. In the warehouses, there's been a lot of robots. There's been uh, systems that have been created, 
but it used to cost about $150 million plus to do this because you were basically building railroad tracks everywhere in the warehouse. There were conveyor belts and they were very uh, fixed automation. They couldn't adapt, they couldn't change at all. In fact, you know, the self-driving cars that we're doing today, we could solve the, you know, the transportation problem by putting railroad tracks everywhere, but it's just gonna be very, very costly. So instead, what we're doing is we're building cars that are able to adapt to the roads and we're doing the same thing. So where we use AI is in our robots to be able to adapt to the various uh, floors, the various racks, so our customers don't have to reinvent the warehouse to adapt. The robot adapts to the warehouse, not the other way around. And that lowers the cost, lowers the timing in which they can deploy things. So what's next for us is we're actually adding more and more in some of the AI. And in fact, some of the stuff that has been happening with ChatGPT, where they're able to add a lot more context into the information and a lot of the algorithms that have been worked on, we're using similar algorithms on our side as well to integrate more and more context. And as we're able to integrate more context into our systems, we're able to predict better both what the robot will do, which then allows us to move faster as our robots are basically moving through these aisles, these narrow aisles. If there's a little bump, we, right now we're computing about 20 to 30,000 different trajectories per second, different outcomes of what's going to happen. Then the robot chooses the best one to do that. But that speed at which we can compute that basically allows us to drive the robot at a particular speed of the robot. And the faster and the better the algorithms and the more context we can understand, we can actually move faster, which again, for the consumer, what it means is that we can fulfill faster, get those products out the door, right, and, and move them. If we talk about an hour, right, if you want an hour delivery, that means we have half an hour pretty much to pick something and then another half hour that you know delivery driver has to deliver it. So every minute count, every second count, and we're just adding more and more into the technology to be able to both understand what's happening in the warehouse and be able to fulfill faster. Okay, that that's definitely really important, right? Because you want to make sure that you're not just iterating on the on the hardware, but you're also iterating on the well the software, which is then AI AI driven. Yeah. Because yeah, that's gonna of course have a trajectory on how well the robot is actually I guess functioning, yeah. right? And moving forward. And so yeah. And actually, I'll go over a little bit on, on our business model, because as you mentioned about the hardware, so we provide our robots as robotic as a service, which is really interesting in terms of, you know, the business model that hasn't really happened before. It's not a lease. So we don't lease our robots. We basically sell the productivity of the robots. And what that allows us to do is the robots are, for example, are our own balance sheet, which means that we want to make sure they're as efficient as possible. So we're not in the business of selling more robots. We're in the business of selling more efficient robots. So if we can upgrade the software and make the robots more efficient, it's actually on our cost. So we want to reduce that. We work on that really hard. And I think that aligns the incentives with our customers because our customers don't just want to end up with tons of robots that maybe are outdated or you know are not as fast and we sell them more robots. They're, all they care about is how quickly can you fulfill my orders? How quickly can you move this stuff? And in fact, we've gone through several hardware iterations that we've done. For example, we made the robots taller. And in order to do that, we actually brought some of the robots back that they owned before, replaced them with taller robots, and we were just upgraded. So we didn't throw away the whole robot. We didn't you know, change everything. We just actually added a few more linkages, added a few more software changes, a few more parts, and then we're able to do it. So really, it's imagine like as if you, you know, have your iPhone, and instead of having to buy a whole new iPhone, then you have to throw away the iPhone sort of take that 
upgrade the hardware, upgrade the stuff and send you a new one every time, but we're reusing it because the cost is on our side. So it gives that incentive. And I think, you know, moving forward, I think that's how companies, in terms of the hardware space, I think that's really how they should run because, you know, most, most of our customers don't want to be in the robot business. They don't want to own hundreds of robots that are now outdated and buy another hardware, right? That they want that problem to be ours. Right. I actually have never heard of this type of business model where it's, I guess it wouldn't be, it's not a leasing program, but it's more like a productivity program. So how, how does that work? How is that different from like leasing robots, for example? Yeah. So when you lease a robot, think of it as like leasing a car. Right. You basically, the number of miles, you're basically paying for that car. You're paying a fixed amount of money for that car. And whether you drive, you know, 10 miles, 100 miles, or whether the car is capable of doing various things or the upgrade, you lease that specific car and you have to pay per month for that car. The car breaks down, you know, it's sort of on use and time to fix it, to do that. And you're not getting paid while, meaning you can drive the car while it's, you know, in in the shop or something like that. Leasing the productivity is sort of like what taxi drivers or what Uber is trying to do, where you're really just paying for the transportation. So you're paying for, when we're selling the productivity of the robots, you're basically buying the work that the robots are doing and the maintenance, the problems, the amount of robots that you actually need in this is all on us. So you don't care how many robots we use in some sense, you're paying, let's say, the way we sell it is actions per hour. So you know you might get like a thousand or 2000 or 10,000 actions per hour system. And it's up to us to decide, okay, you know, we're gonna use 10 robots or 30 robots. And if we can use less, it's better for us. So we're constantly trying to innovate that. Right. What you care about, you care about the actions. You don't necessarily care that you have 10 robots or 50 robots. You want to make sure that, you know, a thousand actions go out the door because every action, let's say, is an order that goes out. So you want to do that. That makes sense. So you're you're pricing it based on the actions, not the number of robots that I would have as an e-commerce company or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's a, pretty innovative because it is aligns a lot more with your client because then yeah, they don't really care how many robots they have. That's that's not really that important to them. It's more about like, what's the productivity? I like it. It's maybe the new way of doing business moving forward when it comes to this kind of this this kind of materials and hardware. Uh, Awesome. Well, our last question I always like to ask our guests is what's your prediction for the future? And that could be in robotics, it could be terraforming Mars, self driving cars, (laughs) which we did talk a little bit about on our on our podcast yeah i mean whatever's top of mind maybe living to be you know 150 years old so well i'll actually go to two predictions one is just immediate future in the next like 30 40 years i think what will happen is is we're going to get closer to sort of the star trek replicators and it's not necessarily just in terms of you know 3d printing and things of that sort but it's also in terms of the logistics and how we move things but being able to get more customized parts so right now, you know, the first level of what Amazon has solved, what other companies like ours are solving, is you're ordering items, but those items have already existed, they're already in the warehouse. You have to choose that bottle or that lamp or that thing. So the next version from that is going to be more customized. So really, you can customize a lamp, customize a sofa, customize a chair, whatever it is that you want, a car. You kind of see that even more. Like there's a few car companies, actually, that we start working with the same thing, where you can fully customize the car and have the systems build that car to your specification and move that over. So I think that's going to come in more in the immediate future. And that will open up the door to a lot more cooler things, things that have, you know, we haven't even thought about them. 
people creating more stuff because I think ultimately people love to create in there. And then perhaps, you know, 100 to 100 years from now, you know, a lot, long time. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm really interested in the space and, and actually, you know, expanding the way our living. But even within Earth, there's a lot of resources that we can utilize a little bit better. So, you know, fusion energy has been worked on extensively. I still haven't heard some rumors that there's some breakthroughs here and there. I'm not fission, but fusion in particular. But once we solve that, that we could you know, create energy that is fairly safe, very robust. And that will, again, I think, expand us to a whole new set of ballgame of what we could do. Because if you imagine if energy now is basically free, you could, you know, you can do a lot more and, and there's a lot more aspects that you can do there. So I'm really excited to see what that happens. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Uh, and then I like how you're like in the near future, which is 30 years from now, I'm like, wow, that is, I thought you were going to say like three years from now. <laughs> 30 years, yeah. yeah, I guess everyone's got a different definition of what the near future looks like. It takes a lot of time for people to move forward. So when I say 30 years, that's for things to, because even e-commerce right now, it's still, it's an infancy, it's still moving and there's still, you know, you still can't have everything done within an hour, even existing products. It just, it takes a while for our society to move. So 10 years is like nothing is a blink of an eye. That's true. That's true. The other question that you were kind of talking a little bit earlier, and I like to ask this question, especially since you're in the robotic space, what do you think is the future of work or what do you predict? And you, you mentioned even on the podcast, you know, that it's hard to get people to work at these warehouses, you know, like human people. So with all of these robotics, you know, your company, but even the trajectory of where we're going, like, where are you seeing things? Yeah. So I think if you look at history and look at automation in particular, even flights, right? And we're talking about really transforming these warehouses into spaceships. What you're doing is you're elevating the work that a person is doing, but they're becoming a lot more efficient. So right now, you know, in, especially in the warehouse industry, you have one person, let's say, has to run around in the warehouse and fulfill. And they can maybe only fulfill so many orders per hour, when we add the robots, you still need that person. They're still managing the robots. We call them actually robot wranglers and, and do that. But now they're doing 10X to sometimes even 100X of what they're a- able to do. So that whole company together with their core people are able to do work. And in fact, we have some customers that have sort of maintained their workforce, maintained the same workforce. And their workforce initially, you know, people were like, you know what? I don't want to do this work anymore. It's crazy. I don't want to run around in the warehouse all day long. This is boring. Where now they're like, I can see myself retiring here. Like, this is something I can move forward. And I think that's what's going to happen. It was just elevating what people can do. You can look at that even, you know, autopilots and and airplanes, right? Before there was a lot of levers, a lot of stuff you had to pull manually. Now you're pulling buttons and you're doing, but you're in charge of a much bigger airplane, a lot more sophisticated systems. And that's what's happening. Now, obviously, I think the biggest thing that we need to do as society is train people to get people to know these things. And people are extremely creative. And I think if we just allow everybody to be creative and not to, you know, I, I always think it's it's so it's so sad that, you know, we have a so such a powerful human brain that we've, you know, I've, I've worked at USC, you know, for a long time trying to replicate, you know, the human brain and what it does. And it's so precious and it does so much. That, you know, if you take it and have it just run around in a warehouse, just a waste brain, I mean, it could do so much more. And I think that's what's going to happen. We're just lifting people and being able to create more things. I'm really excited to see how the future looks like. We'll become more efficient, more efficient. How are we creating produce, more efficient? How are we creating parts? We use energy and, you know, that's just going to enhance our uh, society. Yeah. So, right, you're saying upskilling is really the next step to all of this as part of 
exactly yeah yeah for sure no, that that makes sense awesome it's well fun. yeah this and was, this was a really great conversation thank you for sharing your insights so many changes going on in the horizon and and then how fast or, or slow they're going to occur. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Last question is how can I audiences get in touch with you or your company? So our company is Invia Robotics, stands for Innovation VR Robotics. That, that's I-N-V-I-A robotics.com. And you can uh, send an email to info or you can also send an email directly to me, Leo, L-I-O-R at Invia Robotics. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Gene.